0: Welcome to episode two of the Real Talk on Women's Health podcast with Essentia Health. I'm your host Lauren Wells and I'm very excited to be joined today by Dr. Michael Cassing and OBGYN with Essentia Health. Dr. Michael Cassing, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: So I want to kind of start by asking you a little bit about your journey, why you chose to be an OBGYN.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think if you would have told me when I was a medical student that I was gonna be an OBGYN and live in Duluth, I would have said you're out of your mind. <laughs> right. Um, I didn't have any thoughts about women's health of OBGYN um, but really the third year of med school is when you go through all of the rotations and you go through surgery and psychiatry and internal medicine and I, I did the OBGYN rotation and I, I really liked it but I never thought I would actually go into it and then after going through some of the other rotations uh, my then fiance now wife was like I really think that you liked OB and and I think the reason that I got into it is 1 through 100 is it's the only place in medicine where people are happy and they're not just kind of happy they're they're really happy it is one of the greatest days of their lives. The other thing is that there's, there's a goal. You know, it's like it's an event. You know, you have a lady in labor. You want to get the baby out safely. Healthy baby, healthy mother. Um, I, I like surgery. I like physiology. I like endocrinology. I like infectious disease. And that kind of all came together um, to be an OBGYN. Um, but yeah, I never I never planned on this. That's for sure.
0: Was there something else that you were originally going to specialize in or was it always OBGYN for you once you had that rotation?
1: I really thought that I was going to be a family practice doctor and i uh, really kind of found out the clinic every day was not suiting me and uh and so I also didn't know that I would like surgery you know I don't like fix cars or fix bikes or anything like that but uh, if you have decent hand-eye coordination and you are interested in learning, you know surgery can be uh, very fulfilling.
0: Yeah, so what is your day-to-day like, I guess? I mean, I watch some medical shows, but obviously those aren't that accurate, probably. Not
1: at all. <laughs> in, in OBGYN, gyn uh, essentially, there's really three areas where I may be at. Labor and delivery is one, so that's delivering babies, and that is when we're on call. And the important thing about Essentia is that we have an in-house OBGYN gyn 24-7. So no matter what time when uh, we have in-house OBGYN, in-house anesthesia. We have people there to care for you whenever you need to come in. And that is a differentiator between us and, you know, every other facility in in Northern Minnesota. Um, So my call time is delivering babies, covering the emergency department. If it's a tubal pregnancy, if it's a miscarriage, um, if they just have questions about a lady with heavy periods or bleeding, we we cover all that. Uh, The second place that we are is, of course, in the office, uh, where we see patients, all OBGYN patients of all ages, concerns, questions, you know, routine pregnancies, um, all that sort of stuff, infertility. Um, and then the third thing is in the operating room. So prior to going through the rotation, I didn't even know that OBGYNs did surgery. So it can be anything from a C-section to a hysterectomy, which is removal of the uterus, removal of the ovaries, uh, removing the fallopian tubes, bladder, prolapse surgeries, uh, prolapse of the vagina. So we, we do quite a few surgical procedures as well.
0: So something I want to talk about, I know that I've definitely been guilty of this when I go in for a a pap smear or something like that. I'm like, as a woman, I'm almost embarrassed to have a male OBGYN, but obviously this is your job day in and day out. What would you say to somebody like me who's maybe thought something like that before?
1: Yeah. So actually that was the number one question that I had when my wife and I were talking about this is, is am I going to have any patients? You know, is this weird? And um, the thing to know is, first of all, the most important thing with any, you know, physician patient relationship or provider, whether you see a nurse practitioner or a midwifery wife is you have to have someone that you can trust um, and someone that will listen to you and you feel like you have a therapeutic relationship because standing up for yourself and being your own advocate is is extremely important. There are a lot of reasons why a woman may not want to see a male. And we all have to be thoughtful of that. Um, that being said, you're right. This is every day for, for me. So, um, you know, we'll have 25 to 30 patients in the clinic every day. And so this is nothing new.
0: So how long are you with a patient as an OBGYN? Is it from when they find out they're pregnant to the moment they give birth or when does that relationship kind of start
1: yeah well oftentimes it starts actually before they're pregnant um, a lot of women will come in and whether they're newly married or in a relationship and they decide that they want to have a baby they they want to talk about what do they need to do to have a healthy pregnancy um, oftentimes after that you know they'll hopefully conceive and then they'll come in usually between six to eight weeks of pregnancy it's usually sooner they do the pregnancy test and they start having symptoms and then pretty much between six to ten weeks we get that first visit in where we get the ultrasound and kind of get the prenatal care started through the beginning of pregnancy through about 30 or 32 weeks. They come every four weeks. And one thing that we do at Essentia is we try to have kind of a shared care model where patient knows two different people. I'm at Essentia every day, but sometimes I'm delivering babies and sometimes I'm doing surgery. So we have a great team of nurse practitioners and midwives that we try to pair off the patient with one doctor and one advanced practitioner so that regardless if I'm doing surgery or if I'm delivering babies, there's someone at the clinic that they know. Then after 32 weeks, they come every two weeks. Then after 36, it's every week until they deliver. So yes, how we have it, how we run our schedule is I am on call every other Monday for 24 hours. And then we have weekend call. Um, the important thing for patients to know is that we see our own patients every day. So uh, even though I'm not on labor and delivery today, I've already been to labor and delivery and seen the patients, um, my patients that have delivered. So even if your own person's not there for the delivery, we do our very best to see you during your hospitalization.
0: Do you know how many babies you've helped deliver over your career?
1: Um, Probably around 3,500.
0: And I imagine it's emotional for you when you do get to deliver a baby because you've had a relationship with the parents, like you said, sometimes from when they find out they're pregnant or even before they find out they're pregnant. So does it ever get old or is it always just such an incredible thing?
1: Yeah, it's it's really exciting to see people and how happy they are, especially the infertility patients, because they go through a lot. Not that everyone doesn't go through a lot, but yeah, it's really exciting to see people, you know, welcome their child and see their child and kind of realize like it's all real. Like, is we're going to have this baby and, and life has
0: changed. Now I want to switch gears and talk about pregnancy myths for anybody who's pregnant, knows somebody who's pregnant or is even thinking about getting pregnant. Let's clear up some of the myths that we all hear about. First and foremost, what do you think is the most common pregnancy myth that you hear or that you get asked about?
1: I think the most common myth is that the baby's heartbeat determines the gender. What I hear all the time is if the baby's heartbeat is high, it's a girl. If it's low, it's a boy or how the woman is carrying the baby. Oh, you're. You're carrying low, it's a girl. You're carrying low, it's a boy. We believe, and I believe in ultrasound and I believe in genetic testing. And those two, those two will tell you if it's a boy or a girl. Um, Those are probably the biggest pregnancy myths around as far as different characteristics or thoughts that can lead to the gender.
0: What about should pregnant women avoid deli meat? I hear that one all the time as well.
1: The concern about deli meat is an infection called listeria. And actually, we just had a big outbreak in the fall of listeria. And the, the big thing about listeria is that it can cross the placenta and it can cause problems for the baby, specifically in the first and second trimester. So the recommendation is to avoid deli meat unless you're going to heat it up above 165 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: Just straight up deli meat you should probably avoid. For safety. Now let's tackle a myth that is always shown in like television shows and movies. Morning sickness. Is that the first sign that you might be pregnant?
1: Four most common signs of pregnancy are fatigue, nausea, vomiting, and breast tenderness. And it doesn't happen to be that all women have the same symptoms at the same time but but those are by far the most common uh symptoms and and a lot of women won't have all of them you know they'll just have breast tenderness or they'll just be sick to their stomach, um, but you can have all of them.
0: And what about drinking caffeine when you're pregnant? Because I hear that one a lot too, like, oh, you can only have this many milligrams or, oh, you shouldn't have any caffeine at all. What would you recommend?
1: Yeah. Caffeine is is an interesting one because I've never delivered a baby and been like, geez, this is a caffeinated baby. Um, <laughs> so caffeine, the, the recommendation is between two and 300 milligrams, which is roughly three cups of coffee.
0: Speaking of drinks, something that I've seen kind of pop up over the past few years is having a glass of wine when you're pregnant. I feel like that's a newer myth. Can you set the record straight on this one?
1: The recommendation is that you have no alcohol intake because we don't know what the safe uh, amount is. So multiple recommendations from multiple societies across the world have said not to drink during pregnancy. That being said, we do know they do it in Europe all the time. Um, But the official recommendation is not to have any alcohol because we don't know at what level you start developing fetal alcohol syndromes, fetal alcohol effects. that sort of thing.
0: What about the saying, I'm eating for two? I hear that all the time somebody's pregnant, they're eating a bunch, they say, oh, I'm eating for two. Is that just a phrase or is that something you should actually be doing when you're pregnant?
1: Yeah. So that is kind of a loaded question only because mm-hmm. it depends a lot on patient's health prior to becoming pregnant. The recommendation is that you have about 300 extra calories per day, specifically in the second and third trimester, um, which is roughly a Snickers bar. So an extra Snickers bar every day of calories. The main thing to that women need to monitor more so than they're eating is weight gain. Uh, It's very common for women in the first 20 weeks to lose weight. So if you're, if you're an average size, normal size person that the weight gain recommended is 25 to 35 pounds, knowing that women gain roughly a pound a week in the last six to eight weeks. That is 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 a better, I think, is a better way to look at it as total weight gain over the pregnancy than, than I'm eating for two. Right. Because that can lead to, you know, some unhealthy habits. And we know that excessive weight gain in pregnancy um, is associated with high blood pressure, gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, and uh, large babies need for uh, C-section. So there's a lot of risks if you gain too much weight in pregnancy. Plus, the data is very clear that if you gain a lot of weight in pregnancy, oftentimes they do not return into their pre-pregnancy weight.
0: Another one for women that maybe like color their hair. Are you supposed to avoid that when you're pregnant as well?
1: So this is one that's actually changed through the years. Really? Um, They used to be totally, they would say no. And I will tell you that one of the smartest doctors I know dyed her hair three times during the pregnancy because she was 40 years old and hated her gray hair. If people are worried, then then avoid it. But you can color your hair when you're pregnant.
0: What are some other myths that I might have missed? You know, if there are any.
1: I, I think the biggest myth about maybe life and maybe parenting for sure is that if you do things right, you're in charge and things are going to go the way that you plan. Um, Just like you have no control over the personality of your child, over their hair color, their eye color, in in a lot of ways. Um, A lot of women, especially really healthy women, type A women, women that are successful in life, they take that type A behavior and they think that it can apply to their medical history and and specifically to labor and delivery. And the truth of the matter is, is that I have no idea what's going to happen when a lady comes in in labor. And that's not an uneducated I don't know it, just that we don't know. Um, we know that when you come in, we're going to put you on the monitor. You're going to have an IV put in you. That doesn't mean you need fluid, but we like to have an IV just in case there's bleeding. And, you know, sometimes the baby looks great. Sometimes the woman progresses naturally, normally has an unmedicated desired birth. Wonderful. Um, but sometimes it doesn't go that way. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes um, there's bleeding. Sometimes the lady's breech and she needs a C-section. There's a whole lot of, of things that can happen that are really out of the patient's control. And so I think the best recommendations just to be flexible and to have a plan. You know, a lot of women say, I want to see how I do before I get an epidural. And I think that's great in a lot of ways because then they don't feel like they're a failure if if they get an epidural. I think probably some hardcore people would say, well, if they leave it open to having an epidural, of course, they're going to get an epidural. That's just a different opinion. But I, I think that women need to be empowered to do what what they want to do and advocate for what they need. And, and then also we have to, to value people's decisions and know that they're going to make the right decision for them at the right time.
0: I think that is really important to mention because there are people in my life that have given birth and they have a plan and it doesn't go as planned. You know, nothing in life really ever goes as planned. So I think it's really great that you said that you can have a plan, but that might not happen and that doesn't make you a failure or a disappointment.
1: Absolutely. And another example is breastfeeding. You know, we, we, we're we a baby-friendly hospital at St. Mary's Essentia. We encourage breastfeeding for everyone. We have lactation specialists. We do all that we can to facilitate breastfeeding. For some patients, it doesn't work. You're not less of a parent if you can't breastfeed. You're not less of a parent if your kid needs formula. People need to know that they're going to do the best they can and that's all they can do.
0: So as an OBGYN in general, you know, when I go see my OBGYN, sometimes I have questions, but maybe I don't ask because I'm a little embarrassed. Is there anything that a patient could ask you that they should be embarrassed about?
1: Anything that they have to ask, they should ask. Yeah. Um, this is my 13th year and I trained in Minneapolis. So there's not a lot of stuff that that we haven't heard or haven't read about um, whatever the patient has on their mind, they should ask. And if they don't feel comfortable asking the person that they're seeing, they should either ask for a referral or go see someone else because there aren't too many things that people that are new that we haven't heard about. There's nothing that, you know, people should be embarrassed about.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. That's really good advice. How often do you get asked about exercise? Because I feel like another myth is that if you're pregnant, you cannot exercise. You cannot do any sort of physical activity. How true is that?
1: Yeah, so exercise exercise in pregnancy is uh is is super important actually the truth of the matter is that more active people tend to do better as far as you know preterm labors preterm deliveries uh c-sections the, the main thing about exercising is you want to do the same level of exercise that you've previously done so if you if you're not very active you don't want to start training for a triathlon or an iron man or something that's that's not good for the baby by all means any any activities that you may do you certainly can continue to do you know obviously if you have cramping or bleeding or if there's uh, concerns for complications, that's a different story. But especially through like 20 weeks, you can pretty much do anything you want. And then after 20 weeks, the main thing you want to avoid is like trauma. So if you're in kickboxing or something, you don't want to take a kick to the belly. Or if you go to CrossFit, you don't want to be doing burpees too hard where you hit your belly. Um, but you certainly exercise is, is something that, that we encourage.
0: Well, I think that pretty much covers all of the myths that I had on my list that I could think of. Is there any other myth that maybe you just want to take this minute to clarify or myth bust, I guess, if you will.
1: Yeah, I guess the one other thing that that just came to mind is when we talk about supplements. So the recommendation is a prenatal vitamin and that is for iron and folic acid. And and those are very important. Uh, there's also some good uh, data on vitamin D um, and a lot of people do fish oil. But the one thing I will say is that you can overdo it with supplements. Not that you're going to cause any problem for the baby uh, or yourself. But like I have had a couple of patients who were, you know, super type A, super healthy and they're just keep throwing up and you just can't figure out what's going on. And like, What are you taking in? And they have nine supplements. It's like, all right, let's pair these down. Let's just keep with your prenatal vitamin and vitamin D or the fish oil, whatever you need to, and put these other ones aside just to see if you feel better.
0: I know that I even get overwhelmed with what supplements to take and which not to take. So obviously, if anyone that is pregnant wants to know what they should be taking or wants to work on a new supplement regimen, they can always talk to you about that or their OBGYN. So last but not least, I want to end this on a happy note. And I think I know your answer, but does delivering a baby and bringing a life into this world and being there for parents in the best moment of their lives, does that ever get old?
1: Yeah, no, it, it never gets old. I, I think that in medicine and in anything in life, you're you're present there as a human being to be part of an event. And then when you're the doctor, you're sort of overseeing the entire event. And so, you know, sometimes it's very easy and the patients come, and they deliver the baby and it's, it's fine. Other times it's, it's incredibly stressful, but I, I think one thing that's really satisfying about delivering babies is there is an outcome and it's a joyous, wonderful outcome, you know, 99% of the time. So it, it never gets old and, and it's always kind of a relief when everything is good and, and the baby's out.
0: Is there one moment or one baby that you always will remember for as long as you're an OBGYN?
1: Yeah, you know, it's 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 a lot of situations that I think I remember uh, through the years. Uh, we had a lady that came in from Chicago who had lived here for like four hours, came in and had her baby. Um, and she had had three babies in Chicago, and she she thought that we were the greatest place in the world. <laughs> she couldn't believe how nice the nursing staff was. Everybody took care of her, listened to her. Um, she was uh, incredibly grateful for us.
0: That is a great story. Well, Dr. Michael Cassing, OBGYN, I cannot thank you enough. We will see you next time.